Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA, and today we're continuing our series on the story of our loop. And this is where we bring in some of our gold loopers who have finished the loop, and they just tell you about their story and how they accomplished the loop and what it means to them. So today we're going to be talking with Craig and Nikki Kozak, and they will fill us all in. But first, as always, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And so now officially, I would like to welcome Nikki and Craig Kozak to Great Loop Radio. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to see you both. And I know that you've continued to um, enjoy life post-loop. Um, but let's yep. kind of start from the beginning. Um, tell us a little bit about yourselves and what is it that attracted you to the Great Loop and ultimately made you decide to get out there and do it? Well, my parents had uh, cruised the canals of southern France back in 1986 and uh, had found out, had a book about the Great Loop, um, Honey, Let's Get a Boat by Rob and Eva Staub. Mm -hmm. And they had had it for decades. And Craig started talking about buying a boat. And they said, well, here, check this out. And he read it. And he is not a reader. I don't read anything. So for <laughs> me to read it. He read that book like three, four, five times, yes. and it kept Nikki, Nikki, you need to read this book. Nikki, <laughs> Nikki, you need to read this book. Yeah. And and so that just sparked a dream in him, and you know he started looking for a loop boat mm -hmm. <laughs> after he yes. read that book. Well, and that book, of course, was written by the founders of AGLCA, and it's yeah. it's interesting they did the loop. Um, you know, it's over 25 years ago. The book was written about 25 years ago. Wow. Um, it's still in print and, and available on the greatloop.org website. But just a funny little anecdote that actually just happened today. Um, we're trying to work with that to turn it into a, a Kindle version or an um, e-reader version. And right. um, one of our Looper families that has a 15-year-old daughter that's docked right next to us, um, she has been wanting to do some work as an intern. So as you might imagine, taking something that's a little <laughs> bit older and trying to convert it to a Kindle version requires the technology skills of a 15-year-old instead of me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I said, right. here you go. Um, and I checked in with her today and she said, this is such a great book. And she was like, I've just, I just got so enthralled in reading the story that uh -huh. I forgot that I was supposed to be like checking for italics and things like that. And I just had to <laughs> laugh because, um, you know, for somebody our age to enjoy the book, Right. And somebody who's 15 to enjoy the book is really, you know, kind of speaks volumes to um, the skills of Ron and Evastav when they wrote that. But it still is kind of the thing that really inspires a lot. So it's interesting with my experience today to hear that, you know, that's kind of what inspired the two of you. But Craig, I know you had been a boater um, prior to that. Um, Nikki, I think maybe you had said not quite as much. So what was your boating background before getting this book and decided this is this is what you wanted to do? I, I grew up on a small, well, a, a decent sized lake in Wisconsin, Green Lake, Wisconsin, and had been racing and sailing since I was seven years old and was not a power boater at all. The biggest power boat I'd ever driven was a, an 18 foot ski boat. But um, as we read the book, we realized that obviously sailboats were not the right way to go. 
And as a, uh, a test, as we got closer after I read the book multiple times, we actually went to the Northwest and chartered a trawler to see if Craig liked power boats and to see if Nikki wouldn't turn greener than a Packers jersey. And we got positive answers to both of those. <laughs> and uh, about two months later, we bought Joy Girl. And uh, tell us about Joy, Joy Girl. What kind of a boat is it that you did the loop on? She's a 42-foot Nordic tug. Um, there's not a boat out there that I would trade for. I absolutely love that boat. And, um, you know, rock-solid boat built in America, big tugboat, slow, great fuel efficiency, um, a good-looking boat. I, okay, yeah, we're biased about that, but we love the rich <laughs> house. Yeah, I wanted a pilot house. I know a lot of people are Flybridge people. Uh, I loved my pilot house. And so did my cat, who spent about 90% of the trip sitting on my lap. <laughs> So give us, you know, a little bit of the specs, if you will, of the boat, you know, talk about uh, how many berths did it have, how many, um, uh, what were the, you know, single engine, two engines, what were the engines, horsepower, those kinds of things that people who are searching okay. for their great loop boat may have a list of some of those parameters that they're looking for and might go, hmm, I wonder, you know, that pilot house sounds great. I wonder if that fits in with the rest of my desires. Um, I'll do the external and I'll let Nikki do the internal. Okay. She's a 42 foot trawler. She's a single screw, a nine, limit, nine uh, liter Cummins diesel, fully protected prop um, up behind the keel, the rudder totally protected from below. So fishnets, fish lines, crab pots, crab pots, <laughs> occasional bumping of the ground. Yes, we've done that. Come on, guys, you all have to. Oh, yeah, we have. And, uh, yeah, we've all, we've all grounded mm -hmm. briefly. Uh, the boat was, you know, rock solid. Although it was a slow boat, it's marketed as a semi-displacement trawler. Realistically, it's a trawler and it's going to go be the most efficient at trawler speeds. Um, one of the prides of that, we were getting good enough mileage that we were able to fuel in Port Washington, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee, and not have to take fuel again until the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. So you know, we had a 1,500 mile range carrying 600 gallons of fuel. And there's the tale of <laughs> the Supreme Commander who did the loop. There we yeah. go. <laughs> Golly. So a 1,500-mile range is pretty substantial. Um, what yeah. kind of, um, you know, how many um, miles per gallon did you tend to get? We were saying about three miles per gallon. And we weren't saying gallons per mile. We are saying miles per gallon. So we were, right. as an old sailor, I'm used to going five, six knots. That's not a problem. We can sail straight up wind in a trawler. So I, I was... I was not a speed guy. I'm still not a speed guy. I'm still a trawler guy. But um, but there's so many places on the loop where you can't go fast anyway. Absolutely. You know, you're going through locks, you're going through rivers. And so this you're 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 spending a lot of, of gasoline money, you know, for something that you 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 really can't you really can't use it all that often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but, and she also had, she had two staterooms. We thought that we really needed two <laughs> staterooms because we we're going to have all these people on the boat, which we did have a lot of people on the boat, but um, not enough to maybe justify needing a stateroom. We could have, you know, slept on the couch, you know, or something when they came. And we also had two heads to full galley, um, very nice uh, salon area and a back cockpit. I love being in the flybridge. Craig didn't like to drive from the flybridge, but mm -hmm. I love to be up there and just 
watched the scenery go by. It was fantastic. And we loved having cocktails up there, you know. And we were like the tallest boat in most marinas. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we were, we could see out over everything. So I just loved being up there. She was, she is a wonderful boat. Yeah. I would, add, I would add one other thing, Kim, to the, um, the joys of that boat. She's a full walk around deck boat. And when you're going through locks or when you're working slips in a marina, the ability to walk mm-hmm. anywhere on the boat easily without running through the cabin. The pilot house, of course, opened to both side decks. Uh, that ability to work the decks as a working boat is extremely useful. And still, having headsets are the greatest fiberglass <laughs> you're ever going to have on a two-person boat in a lock or a marina. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up about the full walk around because um, it is really so important for the loop and so many loop boats do have those um you know some boats that don't probably have been ruled out by owners who knew that they really wanted that but i feel like that's one of the features we actually don't talk about a lot and, and it may be because for those who have some experience it's kind of a, a gimme um, they know they want that but we have lots of listeners who are really just kind of starting out and may not recognize the importance or how easy, how much easier they will make their lives going through locks if they have that ability to get around all of the decks. Ours, we can get there, but we've got some steps. Um, so it's it, it's accessible, um, but it's a little bit more of a challenge. And, you know, if I were 10 or 15 or 20 years older, like some of our members are, I don't know <laughs> right. how feasible that would be. So definitely, you know, it's something to consider as people are looking for boats. How easy is it to move around the boat and locks? Because you could think that you're going in um, port side and at the last second that could change to starboard and i can't you know right. i've lost count of how many times that has happened so um yeah. great right. point um we 96 locks over the course of the trip so we yeah. as everybody was mostly you know yeah there's you it's not once or twice right <laughs> no exactly you need to be ready for that yeah. so um tell us when did you loop i don't think i've asked that yet we started in 2018. We moved on the boat in January 2018. It was in Hilton Head. And we just did all the fixes that we needed to do and practice, you know, going out and coming in, learning how to how to dock it and stuff for a couple months. And then we actually started, uh, I think, very late, first. very late April. Yeah, yeah. very late April. Mm-hmm. Of 2019, you said, correct? Or 2018? 2018. 2018. Okay. 2018. Not, 2018. Not, yeah. not that old. <laughs> <laughs> and we went up to the Great Lakes. And came home to Colorado for the winter because my mom needed a hip replacement and my dad had dementia. And then we went back the next May of 19 and did the Great Lakes again and then went down the rivers that fall. And we we finished up in uh, March of 2020. We pulled into Hilton Head and people were talking about this thing, this COVID thing. And, you know, they're worried about the island because they weren't going to be prepared. And we're like, COVID? We hadn't heard anything about it. And well, and, and that was the time, you know, and thinking back three years, it was really a pretty scary time. I was just talking to somebody was. the other day um, from the, the Keys, who who's home ported in the Keys, and they were talking about how the Keys really just, you know, they shut down, I guess it's US 1, the one road that runs to the Keys, and boaters That's were being right. turned away. So, um, yeah, I've heard that before, and um, lucky on your timing that you were finishing as that was all yes. happened, rather than just kind of starting out. 
Yeah, we, we, were we very, felt very fortunate. We felt very blessed. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So tell us a little bit, you know, a lot of people's, the length of time it takes them to do the loop, their cost, a lot of that depends on their cruising preferences. And by cruising preferences, I mean things like Anchorage versus marinas, how far you tend to travel each day, how many days a week you like to travel versus staying put to do some exploring shoreside. So tell us a little bit about your style, your preferences while you were out there on the loop. I think basically we stayed, you know, I would go through the navigational uh, waterway guide and find out, okay, where do I want to go next? You know, mm -hmm. it was, for me, it was all about the travel. For Craig, it was all just about being on a boat. He, <laughs> he didn't really care <laughs> where we were. So generally speaking, I think we stayed places about two, three days long enough to see everything that I wanted to see. Uh, we thought with Craig's sailing background that we would be in anchorages a lot, um, but that didn't really turn out to be what we ended up doing because we wanted to meet other loopers um, and it was so much easier to get to shore uh, when you're in a, in a marina instead of in an anchorage. We had fold up bikes you know, that we could slip down in the lazarette. And so we'd pull in, get our bikes out and go to the grocery store or, or see the sights on our bikes. We lived on those bikes. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was just so much easier just to stay in, in marinas um, <clears throat> and having docktails with people and stuff. So, so yeah, it was every few days we'd go find someplace new and, and move on, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I'd, I'd say we were in marinas 80% of the time, maybe 85. Mm -hmm. Nikki did all of the smart work of finding the places. Um, she mentioned the waterway guide, Skipper Bob's. I know they're, I know they're a sponsor. I'm not mm -hmm. just saying this. Those books are super useful. Captain John, too. Uh, He's Captain right. John's book of how far to travel in a day uh, was very useful because mm -hmm. he does it in, you know, sailboats. We're doing it for all our basic. Uh, right. Skipper Bob's is especially useful for the locks. Uh, the information as to where you're typically going to tie port or starboard to. Um, those things were were all very useful. And um, yeah, it was a, an ongoing process to find places, but we did it every night. Nikki did a great job of that. And I didn't find out until the last half of our loop that on your website, you have a, a basic itinerary for each part of the loop too, which I didn't know about until later. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know what that is there? It's it's still there. It's actually um, been enhanced somewhat. Okay, um, good. The only thing that always worries me about that itinerary is it is just one example of a possible itinerary of probably an infinite number of combinations of places to stop that you could come up for your loop so we don't want to give anybody the impression that like it's a suggested itinerary right um because everybody's got their own things they really want to see but we repeatedly get asked mm -hmm. for like well, we just want an idea of where we might go or how many miles things are exactly um, since then and since i've been out out here on the loop those individual legs each have um, a flyover video of google earth of the boat mm -hmm. after we have finished um so you can kind of get a idea of what the track looks like okay and there's right. actually a gpx file now for each leg that you can download and import into Aquamaps or Navionics to kind of, again, oh, wow. as a planning tool to kind of see what That's the route looks like. 
That There's was. a gap though, I should mention, um, because I started from Fort Myers and I'm sitting here in Panama City Beach for some time this winter. So that little space between Panama City Beach and Fort Myers is missing in those flyovers. Oh, exactly. so just, as soon as we get the boat back to Fort Myers, um, I'll fill in the rest. But um, awesome. yeah, it's a great resource for planning. And, you know, mm -hmm. for those of us who are more visual for kind of really visualizing what the route is and what it looks like. So I'm right. glad you stumbled across that, but part of me is glad you found it late on because mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to influence people, influence people's decisions on where they stop because there's so much to see and there's so many stops I mm -hmm. wish we could have made that we didn't make. So kind of a double-edged sword there. Great, great yeah. point That's of reference, funny. but really need to make it your own. And kind of yeah. with that in mind, like tell us how far in advance did you plan where you were going next? Did you kind of have the stops outlined or did you say, okay, we're leaving tomorrow. Where is next? Or did you kind of already know where you wanted to go? Um, we probably had a, a couple days, a couple mm -hmm. stops, mm -hmm. you know, okay. Yeah, I know. I want to go here, here, and here in the next say week. Mm -hmm. right. um, and then, yeah, just winging it after that and looking in the waterway guy and saying, okay, what's coming up. And, and some of it, you know, like I knew that I wanted to see Charleston. I knew I wanted to see New York City, New York. Yeah. And, you know, so there's certain things that you do know. But yeah, as far as you, because we really couldn't make reservations at marinas and stuff, you know, but a couple of days in advance. So, yeah. you know, you just, you're constantly, I was constantly looking at that waterway guide to see, okay, what's coming up next? Yeah, it's a great resource. And so, I think as all, mm -hmm. as all experienced boaters know, or even inexperienced ones should know, you don't have a schedule on a boat. Right. You don't want to be out, you know, even in a pretty solid boat like ours, the biggest seas we took were probably five footers. If it was more than that, we're not going. Mm -hmm. yeah. We don't want well, to be That's exactly why this boat is yeah. not moving here until, yeah. you know, early February. We had made some plans before we really knew if the Fort Myers event um, on the 23rd through 25th was going to happen. Um, and Michael's son and his girlfriend are flying in from Cleveland to here, um, ended up being able to pull off a Fort Myers event. So we're driving there because if we waited until they leave, we'd have about a week to get from Panama City to Fort Myers. And that, in theory, is enough time. But we've got a golf crossing in there and yeah. having that much pressure, if we start moving this boat and yeah. looking for a good weather window, uh, I just don't want to put that kind of pressure on us. That's where the bad decisions come from. So we'll go to yes. Fort Myers, then we'll come back here and start moving the boat. Um, but Nikki, I think I, I, I read in some of our pre-interview questions that you actually get seasick, as do I. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure you were also looking for a good um, golf crossing, not just, you know, generally, I think you kind of alluded to this, Craig, that the boats can take more than the people can take. But, um, you know, the boats are well-made. Um, and even people who don't get seasick are probably going to be really uncomfortable long before the boat's having an issue handling the conditions. Nice. Um, but so how did you deal with some of that? Because I have not dealt with it successfully yet. <laughs> oh, well, there's a thing called a scopolamine patch mm -hmm. that you can get as a prescription. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, the first time I used it was the time that we went out to the San Juan Islands as a test. Mm -hmm. I was standing on the boat that we were chartering and I was like, Craig, I need to get off the boat. I'm starting to get sick. And he's like, is the boat moving? <laughs> to be clear, this was the pre-charter checkout. We were in a slip in a very well-protected marina in Friday Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. So I, my doctor, I was like, I need that scopolamine patch. And they give it to you 
in hospitals after surgery hmm. to stop nausea. So it is a powerful drug and it's just a little patch behind your ear. And so I stocked up on those. And if I knew we were going to be on Lake Michigan or, you know, the Gulf, I'd stick that on there. It's good for three days. Mm -hmm. um, and the only real side effect I had was it gave me dry mouth, mm -hmm. but so what? Um, yeah. <laughs> the other thing was meclozine. Meclozine is, was the next best thing. If I mm -hmm. thought, well, it, it may be a little rough, I would try a meclozine. Yeah. Um, and How I often... was in the back of the boat. I realized that, you know, you don't want to be at the front of the boat because that's where all the, you know, you go to the back of the boat and it's, it seems a little bit more uh, steady. Yeah. So for those who might be in that same situation, and, and I hear from people who are wondering whether they can really tolerate doing the loop. How many times would you say in total on the loop you needed to use the patch? I would say two, uh, three. Two or three. Um, crossing Lake Michigan from Frankfurt to Sturgeon Bay, uh, we did tack back and forth to, to, make, to keep the seas off the beam. You, you wore one that day. Uh, we had to go out you know, because of the draft of our boat. We went offshore around New Jersey, like I think most boats probably do. Mm -hmm. And we had these just rollers coming in and we did that day. I don't know. Yeah, maybe three or four. The whole only, yeah, you only have to be on the ocean one time. You know, we had a, a pretty big draft. We had a five foot draft, so we couldn't go through the New Jersey ICW. We had to go out. And I don't think I took my patch that day. And we had to we had to go back in and find a spot to harbor because I was just right. it was foggy. That was the problem. I yeah. couldn't see the horizon. It was foggy. We had these big swells, and so we had to go in. So I only had like really one crisis at one time when we're yeah. on the ocean there. Other than that, it's mostly rivers and canals and there's not a lot of water moving around. So yeah. those are the exact same places I struggled. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I pretty quickly learned that what most people considered great conditions on Lake Michigan, I could still consider it an awful right. day. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. So yeah, the only big water crossing we've got left is the Gulf and I do have a patch. I have not used any yet, um, but I've, I've been ha have had one in preparation for that crossing. So there you go. And a Gulf Let's... crossing, I hope it goes well for you, Kim, because that was one of the highlights of the trip, being a slow boat, being a deep boat. Of course, we did it overnight. Right. I stood most of the watches. Nikki stayed up a few, but mm -hmm. being out there out of sight of land in the dark with nothing anywhere on the radar was one of the coolest experiences. I love that. That's what I hear. We are planning a daylight crossing because the boat can do it. Right. Um, partly because I don't know how I will feel and would prefer to plan for a fast, <laughs> as even yeah. though it's still not fast, but a fast as possible crossing. Um, Michael's crossed the Gulf twice already on this boat and he's just okay. not into the idea of doing it overnight. Okay. And okay. I agree mostly, but there is a really big part of me, Craig, that hears what you're saying and thinks it would be really magical to be out there in the dark with the stars on a flat, calm seas, but I think that's not going to happen this time. <laughs> but, so for uh, somebody who's planning to do, who is a, is in a boat like ours, we did two quasi-overnight runs on the Great Lakes as practice. Mm -hmm. We came up from just north of Portwood, right out of Port Huron, up and around Thumb uh, in Lake Huron, and then we came out of um, Sheboygan 
Michigan on the Michigan side and actually ended all the way up in the Bay of Green Bay, 130 miles later at eight knots, that's a long ways. But we started out in the middle of the night to get some night running experience because I had not done that. I'm a pilot. I, I can fly in the clouds or in the dark. It doesn't bother me at all. But uh, a boat's a different thing. Going under the Mackinac Bridge at two in the morning when everything's lit up is a gorgeous, cool. beautiful sight. Yeah. I even got Nikki up to take pictures. She's a great <laughs> photographer. See yeah. our blog for proof. But uh, yeah, it, I would do a practice run or two in the dark if you've not boated mm -hmm. in the night and you're going to be facing a Gulf Crossing like we did. It's a magical experience. It's just wonderful. Yeah, that's like I said, torn. <laughs> I like the idea of daylight yeah. and getting it done quick, but I do see the attraction of that kind of a, a magical overnight crossing. So when you're going for your platinum, you can do that. There we go. <laughs> just put in that I didn't really find it magical or fun. You were sleep half the time. Sleep, I don't know how to look. She was in the saloon sleeping with the cats. Yeah, well, I think I'm probably more like you, Nikki, than Craig, so I'll, I'll stick with the daylight. <laughs> but, I would. Yep. Let's take a quick break. I'm going to play a message from one of our, our sponsors. We've talked a lot about kind of the practical topics, but when we come back, I want to shift, and we don't have a ton of time left, but I want to shift a little bit to more of, um, you know, what were the highlights and, um, you know, what was, um, what did you gain from doing this trip? So we will be back in just a moment. Green Turtle Bay Marina and Resort has consistently been voted a must-stop by loopers. It has earned the coveted five-anchor designation from Quimby's Cruising Guide. This full-service marina features over 450 slips. They are located at mile marker 31.5 on the scenic Cumberland River. Green Turtle Bay is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA, so join them and find your waterway of life. Welcome back to Great Loop Radio. Today we are continuing our series on the story of our Great Loop. We are talking to Craig and Nikki, and they did the Great Loop aboard their 42-foot uh, Nordic tug, correct? 42? Mm -hmm. Great. What other advice do you have for, uh, you know, kind of newbies um, if they're mm -hmm. considering doing the loop and, you know, kind of on the fence? What advice do you have for um, how you approached it and, and what you would do next if you were, you know, starting from the beginning and trying to decide whether to go? Just do it. <laughs> we, uh, as Nikki mentioned, we spent three months above the boat. I, I had sailed anything from sunfish to 42 footers in, in the Caribbean and the ocean and, and on the Great Lakes. But a big power boat was completely new to me and boating in general was new to Nikki. So we moved aboard the boat, as we mentioned, in January. And we spent three months going in and out of the slip and taking day trips and learning Voyage and tides. Man, I'm an upper Midwestern kid from the middle yeah. lake. Tide, that's laundry detergent. But um, to learn <laughs> tides and ebb and flow currents, that was all news to us. So we spent three months working on that, taking trips down to Savannah and up to Beaufort. Do not miss Beaufort. What a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. um, but you get that practice. But then realistically, once you go do it, it's easier than it seems. It's easier than it would seem. I, I was terrified even with that three months, but we got out there and it was just like we'd done it all along. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, you'll well, never have all of the questions answered that you would like to have answered, mm -hmm. uh, but they will come as you go along, you know, and, and all the other loopers were so helpful too. And, and you guys at the association, I mean, 
with locks closing and stuff. Um, you guys were so awesome to contact uh, some of the uh, the lock masters for mm -hmm. us and find mm -hmm. out when can the loopers get in. And so mm -hmm. keep in contact with the AGLCA. They are an amazing resource. Uh, and you guys are so responsive and mm -hmm. just so helpful. We really relied on you guys a yes. lot. Well, we appreciate that. And we are working on the same kind of plan for the 2023 planned closures on the <laughs> Illinois waterway that run from June 1st through September 30th is the plan. So it's going to okay. be another repeat of that kind of process. But yeah, in the past, we've been pretty successful at getting um, loopers through once those locks reopen. So okay. look for more of that this year. Um, and just what did the two of you kind of on a, on a personal level, what did you gain from doing the Great Loop? Well, we really became a team in our marriage. Um, there were certain roles that he fulfilled, certain roles that I fulfilled, and we had to learn how to trust each other and communicate with each other and uh, appreciate each other's skills. You know, we each brought something different to the to the adventure and uh, really learn to appreciate each other's uh, skills and, and resources and just really melded as a team in our marriage, I really feel like. Yeah, it was the best relationship building exercise. I mean, we hear these team building well, exercises and stuff, but mm -hmm, living yeah. on the boat for a couple of years together with <laughs> it, that stated common objective that really, I know mm -hmm. people do it solo and I know people do it with families, but as a couple, which... I don't know what percentage are couples on, on the loop, but I'd imagine it's a fair amount. It's still, a, even though solo and families mm -hmm. are growing in numbers, it's mm -hmm. still a really large percentage, right. yeah. real high of, of couples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a team building thing. Our marriage is much stronger than it was. Um, we openly refer to ourselves as Team Joy Girl now, even though <laughs> the boat is in the past and the platinum hasn't been planned yet, but we still look at Yacht World pretty often. I guess. <laughs> oh, we're not, yeah. we ain't started yet. <laughs> well, I know, and you know, those who finished the loop or have finished the loop <clears throat> uh, can probably relate that, you know, the post loop blues is kind of a thing if you don't have that next adventure ready to go. I understand that you two have kind of, as you mentioned a moment ago, Joy Girl is in the past for you and you've switched to RVing, which is a fairly common occurrence for loopers post-loop to go on to some RVing. Um, how was that transition? Well, it was especially hard for us because we came home and COVID exploded. And so sure. you couldn't do <laughs> You know, you couldn't do anything. And so that that was a little difficult for us. We refinished our basement because we needed <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. um, But then we ended up buying an RV. Mm -hmm. uh, we bought a gas <clears throat> RV first and took a, took a trip and decided that we really liked it. And we we kind of, one of the reasons we sold the boats because we had two cats on board and they weren't really, really happy with the experience. Mm -hmm. um, and they are much better with the RV. There's there's less, at least when you stop, you're absolutely stopped. You're not still right. moving, you know? Um, and then then we bought it, our next RV. Yeah. Craig, you can tell about Yeah, that. we moved to a diesel pusher. We don't want to talk too much stuff, but a bigger, more stable unit that we're we're using about four to five months a year now. And I mentioned when we we spoke early, the five stages of yep. of life for boaters. And I'm sure some of you have heard it before, but I was a sailor all my life. So the five stages are sailboat, motorboat, motor home, nursing home, and funeral home. Praise God, we're only at step three and we'd like to stay there for a while. 
but we're doing that. But boats are in the future. We still have a family property in Wisconsin on Green Lake where I grew up and, mm-hmm. and have boats there. And um, yeah, we're, you know, a platinum loop is not out of the question. If it wasn't for the rivers and the heat, I'm sure I could get this <laughs> my executive officer again she didn't like the rivers too much i'd do it again in a heartbeat but really the the cats the one you met she was fine with it the other one he really admiral roswell had really a hard time that. yeah yeah and well we to, will oh, go ahead greg to the subjects because i know that a lot of people do travel with animals we met mm-hmm. cats and dogs on the loop we ran into a couple of medical issues with our cats they're both a little bit older you will find great vets and you will find great people we ended up in Paris, Tennessee, having our, our admiral, our younger cat, get very ill and ended up having to drive him to Nashville in a rental car and spent four nights in an emergency hospital. Wow. And then he had to be rechecked down in Mobile. And then the other cat, Scully, that we met earlier, got sick in Florida briefly and we ended up in a hospital with her. If you're thinking about taking your at least cats or dogs, oh, we met somebody with a parrot. A yeah. really cool we parrot. We have a parrot. <laughs> well, a parrot. Um, but there are a couple of other loopers over time that have had oh one. My gosh. Mm-hmm. These guys were loopers, but yeah, you hear this bird talking. But if <laughs> yeah. you think your pets with you, by all means do. But I I would say don't let them on deck underway, especially if they're something the size of the cat. If that goes overboard, it's going to be lights out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So be careful. Yeah. Well, we will look forward to you uh, going back to stage two, motorboating. Yeah. <laughs> And hopefully um, see you out there on the loop again. But until then, um, Craig and Nikki, thanks so much for sharing your story. I think you've inspired many today. So we really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks and so we much. Thank you for all that you personally and all that the organization has done for yeah. voting in general and loopers in specific. You guys are the best. Yeah, yeah no, it's, are... it's absolutely our pleasure. We um, we love what we do. Um, we're working with fabulous people all the time. So <laughs> makes it real easy for us. But <laughs> so thank you too again. And thank you to everyone who has watched or listened this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.